You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Cam Chancellor comes up and just unloads. Number 31, clean his clock. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. Russell has time, fires down the middle. Got his man, Baldwin. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Doug Baldwin again. Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to this week's edition of the Seahawks Insider Podcast. Jen Mueller, Seahawks sideline reporter, alongside John Boyle from Seahawks.com. And I guess we've officially reached the halfway point in the season and with our podcast. And John, what does that mean that we know about this team? Well, we know that they're not playing their best football right now, but they're still 5-2-1 is not a bad place to be. That would currently be the number two seed. It would give them a two-game lead in their division. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things they want to clean up, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But we know Pete Carroll's teams tend to get better in the second half of seasons. We're, we're sort of that point where they like to make their turn. So, as Pete Carroll was saying yesterday, it's not a bad place to be, and they're looking forward to getting better. And if you take a look at their record in the NFC, that's really what is important right now in controlling kind of your own destiny in the NFC, I guess. It is, although I think tiebreakers are less important this year because you have a tie on the record. So odds of finishing tied with somebody else in the standings aren't great, but we'll see. And you get uh, to be one of the four teams that has a tie. On yeah, your record, at least to this point. Yeah. Maybe this is the year of the tie, and there'll be a bunch more. Wouldn't that be exciting? It, it would be better than being the year of complaining about officials, which well. is, seems to be a league-wide challenge. So I would go for something else along those lines. Sure. We don't need more of that. We don't need more controversy. We need to find the silver linings and things. Here's another record that we like to talk about. The Seahawks are 16-3 and one, in primetime games under Pete Carroll, and they are outscoring opponents 486 to 264 in those games. But I don't know if you can go by these records when you're playing a Patriots team on the road. Yeah, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would imagine the Patriots are pretty good in primetime because they've been pretty good, period, for a very long time, and... Yeah, they're at home. They're coming off the bye. This is a tough one. I mean, there's no there's no way around it. That is a very good team. You can make a strong case the best team in the NFL right now, and they're going to be well-rested and have a great crowd on a Sunday night. Tom Brady is 17-9 and nine in 26 games played on Sunday night football. That tells you the uh, level of success that the Patriots have had and the number of times that they have been featured in the course of his career. And he is still on fire. And I think, John, we would all feel very differently about this game if the Seahawks looked more like the Seahawks teams we've seen in the past, right? Yeah, it's it's been a strange season for sure. I mean, this is a team since you go back, it was the middle of the 2011 season where they said, we're going to commit to the run, we got to do this. Marshawn Lynch got going, finished that season strong, and then Russell Wilson came in, and they've just been this great, balanced running team and that just hasn't been there it's not they don't want to do it they haven't given up on it but whether it's been situations or these games recently where they just haven't been able to run a lot of plays and then when they have it hasn't been very successful and then you combine that with the passing game has the potential to be really good we saw that against buffalo you're not going to be stubborn and just pound the ball forever if you're not getting yards when you know you have a great quarterback and some great targets to throw it to. When you talk about Marshawn Lynch, I think a lot of us go to the productivity that he had 
really during the middle of his career in Seattle, before mm-hmm. the injuries started piling up. I, I don't think that most of us remember what that first year with Marshawn Lynch was like. Yeah. He did not come in and find instant success. No. His first – he everyone remembers the Beastquake. Right. And that was that year. But other than that game, he didn't have a 100-yard game till the middle of that 2011 season. And so I guess what I'm looking for here is the point of comparison, the challenges that we're seeing in the run game right now. Is it similar to when Marshawn was just trying to find his way and there's just a little bit of a fit and a feel, or is it a totally different set of problems? And it sounds like every week it's something different. It's almost like playing whack-a-mole, right? You can't quite figure out how to stop it. Yeah, I think it's been a little bit of everything. That was a little different because I think that was more philosophical. They were still kind of finding themselves back then. If you you go back and remember the Tavares Jackson year, in 2011, they were doing a lot of, you know, high tempo, spread it out. They were throwing a lot then just because that was what they could kind of get to work. And then they just said, you know what, no more of this. We're going to run it. This year, I I think it's just – it's been a weird year. I mean, there's been these games where they have, you know, 14, 15, 19 plays in the first half. And if you have a couple three and outs and then you have a false starter or a hold in this first and 20, you're not going to run that time. So all of a sudden, you've gone a quarter and a half and you run the ball twice. And it's not by design. It's just sort of been situational. And then when they've tried, you know, it, Tom Cable said this week that, you know, they, they had like 10 runs with running backs and only seven of them, or only three, seven of 10 were not targeted, right? And that's not just a line. It's sometimes a line. Sometimes he mentioned one play. There was everything was unright except one tight end missed his assignment and boom, the play's dead or the running back's not hitting it. So it's just getting everybody. And I think some of that goes back to you always hear about rhythm in the running game. And if you're not getting enough chances at it, it's hard to find that rhythm. So it's been tough. Well, and what do you make of the bluntness of those comments by Cable today? And even going back to last week where he said, look, we have got to go at 100 miles an hour. This is not at 90. This is at 100. Mm -hmm. And I need the tempo to be on point. Yeah. I mean, Tom Cable's never been one to sugarcoat things. He's a a pretty blunt, you know, shoot straight straight shooter. And I I just think – He's probably, you know, the ground game is his thing. He takes a lot of pride in that. You know, go back to his days as an assistant in Atlanta when they led the league in rushing. I mean, he's he's always had teams that can run the ball, so I'm sure this is a little frustrating for him. Well, and I think that there's a lot of consternation because without a running game, you know, you see it late in games. Just because you can score points, the Seahawks were also scoring very quickly. They had at least three drives that didn't take two minutes, which is great if you're in a two-minute situation. Not great if you're in the third quarter or fourth quarter and need to milk time off the clock. And so I think a lot of people are trying to look ahead and see what their chances are to keep going. They, they don't want their season to end in December. They'd really like that to end in February. Yeah. And so how reasonable or feasible is it you could keep going at this pace and still be a playoff contender? I mean, I think they're good enough – I think the passing game has enough upside and their defense is good enough that you can't write them off as a, you know, they have no chance if they can't run the ball. I think they could compensate in enough ways to be a legitimate contender. That being said, their chances are a lot better if they get that balance back that they like. I mean, we saw it in the fourth quarter. They get the ball with four minutes left. Daryl Bevel mentioned this yesterday. He, he was frustrated that they really wanted to finish. They love that four minute, get the ball and you're taking a knee at the end of the game and they couldn't do it. I, I I still think there's reasons to be optimistic about the running game. We still haven't seen Russell Wilson do much of it. He did have a couple of runs, but he hasn't been a real running threat yet. Thomas Rawls isn't back yet. So you get those things back. 
this line's only going to develop. They're still, you know, most of these guys have never played together before this year. Are they going to average 150 yards a game the rest of the season? I doubt it, but I do think they can get some of that balance back for sure. How much is your optimism dependent on seeing more of C.J. Procise? I think he's going to be a big part of it in the second half. And we saw the New Orleans game. He only had the four carries, but he had a bunch of catches or four catches for 80 yards. He didn't get as many touches last week, but he actually ended up playing more than Chris and Michael because he almost played the entire fourth quarter. So by the time that game ended, he had played more snaps than the other running backs. I, you know, I don't know what it's going to look like going forward. But I'm sure it's going to frustrate some fantasy football players, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> I do think he's going to be a big part of it in one way or another going to, through the rest of the season. It'll be interesting, especially when – I think until Rawls gets back, it might just be kind of an even back and forth between those two with a little Alex Collins mixed in. How it's going to look when Rawls gets back will be interesting when you kind of have three guys you're trying to get involved. And I guess when I watch C.J. Procise, I'm not concerned. He, to me, does not look like a rookie. No. And I guess if if he's the guy that correct, correctly was able to target those couple of successful yeah. running plays that Tom Cable was pointing out earlier in the week – I guess there isn't any reason to be concerned about if he can't handle. No, they, they're they very excited about him, and not just the, the athleticism and what a, what a good athlete he is, but he just seems to understand what's being asked him. I mean, especially when he's doing the third down stuff, the two-minute stuff, there's a lot of responsibility there, whether it's protection or if you're out and you know, running routes, all that stuff. It's, it's a lot more complicated than just hand the ball off and hit the hole. Uh, and he seems to be, especially for a guy that missed, what, six games or five games or whatever it was, He's he's been really coming on qu- quickly. Yeah, and we'll see if that changes the run game. The Seahawks have not reached 100 yards rushing as a team in four straight games. The last time that happened was in 2000, which is interesting because if you look at the running backs that year, it was Sean Alexander and Ricky Waters. So you would think – that that would have been um, kind of an easy number, but not to do it for four straight games. We have not seen that in the Pete Carroll era. And when you just look at a point of comparison to where the Seahawks are and um, where the Giants were in 2011, the Giants won the Super Bowl that year. They were last in the NFL in rushing 89.1 yards per game. They still managed to win. Of course, their run game did pick up at the end of the season. The Seahawks right now, though, are averaging about 10 yards less a game at just 79.4. So there is some precedent, especially, John, as as you're saying, you get some of these guys a little bit healthy, see a little bit of an uptick in those numbers. Yeah. They're off and running. It can be done. We've seen teams win without being great running teams or balanced. It's just it helps, you know. And and that's that's, Pete Carroll's talked about it his whole career. He he wants to have everything available, so – if they go somewhere in January and it's miserable weather and it's hard to throw the ball, he wants to be able to run it. Well, and you've got to get your defense off the field at some that point. Helps. Because we've talked about the number of plays that have been run and the two weeks leading up to that Buffalo game, Pete Carroll and Darrell Bevel talked about how they did not get enough plays in the first half to even know what to make adjustments off of. When I grabbed Darrell Bevel at halftime this week and said, hey, was there enough to to game plan and, and make those adjustments? He said, yep, we've got no problem. And then when you look at the final box score, the Seahawks only ran 42 offensive plays for the game compared to Buffalo's 82. And that is the fewest number of plays the Seahawks have run in a game I think all year, but certainly in the last four weeks when we started to see this trend of just not being able to convert on third downs. Yeah, it's and the the flip side of that, too, is and Pete Carroll brought this up a couple times. 
Defensively, they haven't been getting off the field on third down as much as they usually do. And so that at that point, I mean, the offense wasn't necessarily staying on the field, but they're also not getting the chances because, you know, this defense we're used to getting off the field quickly has given up some long drives. A lot of times they still got the stop eventually, but if you're letting that team stay on the field, the offense just doesn't have as many chances. And then going back to the point you made earlier, some of those early scoring drives, they were great drives and they did a lot of things well, but they did it quickly. And it's yep. just you're not getting – when you want to be explosive in the passing game, that's awesome. But when you go 50-yard throw, boom, you're in the end zone – you don't run a lot of plays. Right. There's a little bit of a downside to yeah. that one. The Seahawks did have nine explosive plays on Sunday, which uh, is significantly higher than what they'd had in the previous weeks, which is a good thing. When we talk about the Seahawks' defense, they have allowed 31 um, third downs on 53 tries, right? I could have said that a little bit better. 31 of 53 is where they're at in the last three weeks Again, it could have been better, but I think you know where I'm going with this one. And they've allowed 120 rushing yards in three straight games. That was surprising to me when you go back and total those up. It is, although the one thing I'll say in the defense's defense, that sounds funny, defense's defense, is that those all three of those rushing totals were teams that were running the ball a lot. If you go back, you know, before this last game, I, it was three point some yards of carry in the other games, even though they just kept pounding it. And it's, I mean, if you watch that game against the Bills, it looked like they just can't tackle Tyrod Taylor. They can't tackle Shady McCoy. Those guys are running all over. The Bills were more than a yard below their season average per carry against the Seahawks. That's how good they are running the ball. They averaged 5-5 five, five a game coming into that. They got 4.3 a carry. So it wasn't their best defense, but it's not the disaster some people would make it out to be. And those raw numbers of 120 per game are a little misleading when it's a five-quarter game a New Orleans team that ran the ball a lot more than they usually do. And again, their their average wasn't great, but they just ran the ball a ton, especially late when they're trying to protect the lead. And then a team that both ran the ball a lot and runs the ball really, really well. Yeah, and <clears throat> I, I think not that – the Seahawks have always been good in that run defense, at mm-hmm. least in the last four or five years, right? But you also don't want to test – the DBs too often, right? And that's you part you of want it. to yeah. keep it a little bit under control, which I'm curious. This is a Seahawks defense that has been on the field for 244 plays in the last three games. And so it'd be silly to think that there isn't some sort of cumulative effect, right? But I'm curious then, what's the game plan for New England, who hasn't thrown an interception this year? That's crazy. <laughs> who could potentially see that streak end if you want to keep going with your normal game plan and test the Seahawks secondary at. I don't know. What are we going to see with this, John? Uh, You know, I'm very curious because one of the cool things about the Bills is how much they're willing to change things around week to week. So you can think – you can watch them for three weeks and think you know what the Bills are going to be, and then they just – or I'm sorry, the Patriots, and then they do something totally different. So um, part of that sack number you mentioned – or you've talked about the interceptions, but to digress a little bit, they don't give up sacks either. Yeah. And that's it's not so much that they're all world on their pass protection. They just – Tom Brady doesn't hold the ball. It, we saw that with Drew Brees as well. So it's it's hard. It's a lot of quick rhythm passing. It's hard to get to them, and that translates to not giving the ball up either. If you do a bunch of quick passes, you're not going to throw a lot of interceptions on short stuff. And hitting the quarterback leads to interceptions as well. So if you can't get to them, it's really, really tough against that offense. Uh, it's, it's. I think this defense is going to kind of step up. They, they know when people are talking about them, and it appears they're not playing up to their level, and they tend to respond well to that when they're being criticized. So 
I think we're going to see a really cool matchup of like both the Seahawks are going to kind of step up to this and then the Patriots are just they're really good. And those numbers are pretty similar. You know, they yeah. had completely different styles from Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick as far as personality and just how that team um, responds and, and kind of the personalities of the teams. But the numbers, remarkably similar. Principles, very close. Yeah. Well, and Pete Carroll talked about this yesterday. When you look at this incredible run the Bills – why do I keep calling them the Bills? It's, an, it's We just played them, same conference, yeah. same colors even. It is the same colors. Yeah, we'll blame that. We'll give you a pass. Anywho, the Patriots, you look back, this incredible run, 13 division titles in 16 years, something like that. One of the common factors Pete Carroll pointed to and that he's always tried to do is turnover differential, just taking care of the ball. And if you look, those two teams in the last five, six years since the Seahawks got going – they're always right up there, both yep. in the overall differential, but also just taking care of the ball and not giving up. And you look at – we kind of take this for granted because Russell Wilson's always been doing it, but he's never thrown more than 10 interceptions. Go back to when we played the Jets. Ryan Fitzpatrick had a st- stretch of like nine interceptions in a couple of weeks. So it's not to take a shot at him, but just it's rare to have quarterbacks who take care of the ball like that. And Tom Brady's done his whole career, and Russell Wilson's – he hasn't had his best year in terms of yards and touchdowns and all that, but two interceptions. So – if teams aren't giving up the ball, it just makes it so much harder on a defense to, to get stops. Well, and Cam Chancellor expects to be back on the field. We have seen him practicing. What kind of difference, what kind of impact can Cam make this I mean, week? he's a big difference maker, and I think especially this kind of game where, as I was just talking about with the Patriots, I didn't call them the Bills that time. The Patriots, <laughs> what they like to do some of these quick throws underneath stuff, go back to the Super Bowl against the Broncos, that kind of offense. Cam Chancellor's a real good deterrent against that. It's it's a lot less appealing to throw little quick hitters to your slot receiver when Cam Chancellor's looking in there. And just the leadership he brings. We saw it. He was on the sideline wearing the headpiece so he could be involved. He's not making calls or anything, but he can hear what's happening yes. just so he stays involved in the game. And then finally, going back to our earlier conversation, he's fresh. Mm-hmm. and. I mean, Kelsey McCray has been doing a great job, but Kelsey McCray has also played a ton of snaps because he plays a lot of special teams too. You get somebody who's had a month off, as, as long as you know he's right physically and everything points to him being right, that's going to – you'll notice it. I mean, you'll see the way he moves. He's going to look like a just brand new – like guys – I mean, it's cumulative for teams over time, so you don't necessarily notice when the whole teams are wearing down because it's kind of happening to both teams at the same point. But when you throw somebody fresh into a game in November, December, sometimes that stands out. Yeah, and uh, I think he's been saving up some hits. You know, yeah, he, he's, he's, he needs that physical contact yeah, in no, he there. he does. It's kind of what, what he feeds off of. Yeah, and um, like you said, the, the numbers might not show up in terms of tackles, but it's what never shows up in the box score is the impact yeah. that Cam actually makes. It's the pass that doesn't get completed. Exactly. It's just, the attempt that yeah. was never just made. Just like with Earl Thomas, sometimes you don't appreciate what he does because it's the, it's the deep plays they don't make. With Cam Chancellor, it's the stuff they're afraid to do in the middle of the field because they know he's lurking in there to, to put a good hurt on somebody. Yeah. Um, I'm going to touch on this very briefly, and then I'm going to go on. Uh, <laughs> one of the uh, most infamous names in Seattle sports history, Malcolm Butler, our good friend from the Super Bowl, <coughs> he's yeah, right now there. a big part of that defense. He is. He's turned into a very good player. And one of the things I like about that is because it's very similar to what we see here, undrafted guy, yeah. a guy that nobody really gave much thought to and came in, won a role on the team, and became a star player. We've seen that here over and over again. And I think 
the fact that both these teams are good at that is not a coincidence that those are two of the best teams in the NFL. When you're willing to look anywhere for talent and give talent anywhere on the field a chance to develop, it's going to help you be better. All right, and we're going to move past that, just like I keep moving past those pages in the media guide. I, I, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, we're not even going to go there. Yeah. But you know what I do want to do is I want to give the special teams guys just a little bit of love because there are some pretty big milestones, and we don't often talk to John Ryan or to Stephen Hauschka, but with a field goal this week, Hauschka will have made at least one field goal in 12 straight games. That is the second longest streak in club history. He needs three more field goals to set the franchise mark. He has already scored in 86 straight games, which is a franchise record. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's been so good for so long. I mean, people are going to point out the Arizona, the one, the one. It's really the one like super notable miss I can think of. I mean, he's had a kick blocked here and there over the years, but he's been so steady. I think he's what third or fourth all time in field goal percentage now. I mean, when you have – we see it all around the league where guys are cutting kickers and signing on guys off the street. It's it's the kind of position where you don't really appreciate how good you have it until you don't have a good kicker. Right. And then all of a sudden it's terrifying. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you don't know what to do. And John Ryan, talk about a guy who never gets any credit. Your punter rarely gets the spotlight. Um, he will break Chris Gray's franchise record streak of 135 consecutive games played this week. Your longest tenured Seattle Seahawks. And it's fascinating. It was so interesting to talk to John today because um, I asked, how much has your style and your technique changed over the years? He goes, well, I'm always tinkering stuff. I'm the Cal Ripken of punters. You know how he kept like messing <laughs> with his stance every time? I'm just trying something new. And he said, no, your body changes. You figure out better ways to do uh-huh. things and – and uh, he said he never focused on records, but when he realizes the longevity of this record, he's pretty stoked. Yeah, that's a pretty cool one. I mean, that's that's a long time to be staying on the field and playing. And he's, you know, like you said, people don't always appreciate the punter. But I tell you what, that last punt he had I last week. I was just going to say. You're, you're having to punt it away, trying to hold on to a lead, and he pulls out a 62-yarder. And then, if we're giving special teams credits, Nico Thorpe, he's been awesome in punt coverage and he was down there to make a tackle on that big punt. So yeah. it's, you know, that this is the kind of game where special teams could be big. Cause he's, you know, when you have two really good teams like that field position is going to matter a lot. And it would be so nice to send them into the record books with a win and perhaps a game changing play. We like that. We We do like that. We also like the fact that the Seahawks are going to be on primetime again on Sunday night leading up to that game. And after the game, you can catch all of John's coverage on Seahawks.com. Make sure that you tune in to the Seahawks radio network for the call with Steve Rabel, Warren Moon, and myself. That'll do it for this week's edition of Seahawks Insiders. We'll see you next week.